Good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. There it is. Some of you are like, I don't know what just happened. That's totally okay. He is risen indeed. We can, we can just try it again for those of you there. So I, he is risen. There we go. Well, good morning. If you are new to Collective Church, my name is Ryan Smith. I serve as the teaching pastor here. And man, I am honored. I am grateful. I am all of the adjectives that we could fill in here. Uh, that you would spend time with us this morning to investigate, to check out Jesus a little bit more. And to the family members of Collective Church, I am so excited for another year of getting to celebrate uh, today with all of you. I mean, today, think about this, 2,000 years plus we're going on now, where every single year the followers of Jesus have gathered on this day to commemorate, to remember, to celebrate, to receive, and to share the incredible message, the earth-shaking, reality-transforming, mind-breaking reality that Jesus, though crucified, died, and buried on Friday, on Sunday morning, was resurrected and raised to life. Amen. Amen. Not, not as a profound metaphor, not as a cool magic trick, but as the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, that God's coming kingdom of life and healing and justice and righteousness and peace and joy, that kingdom is blooming up right here in the midst of this world, right here in the midst of the darkness and the brokenness that we go through. There's a new kingdom rising. Now, here's the reality of the situation that's before me today, is I have to try to encapsulate, summarize, and present this to you in an adequate amount of time that leaves us space in the rest of the day to continue celebrating through smoked ham, deviled eggs, and Easter egg hunts. And so you could just be praying for me the whole time that this is happening, okay? So with that being said, we're going to be jumping into John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn or uh, you can, you know, Bible app, tap your way there. Uh, if you are here and you don't have a Bible to call your own, we have some at the back that we would love for you to borrow, but we've also got uh, the Bible passage we'll be looking at up on the screen, so you can just follow that way too. But once you've made it to John chapter 11, I'm going to invite you to join me in standing for the reading of the scriptures this morning. <clears throat> For those of you that are able, we stand as we read from the scriptures as just a way of reminding ourselves that what we're gathered here to do, that the Christian faith, the Easter faith, is not just a thing in your mind or your soul, but it's, it's for your whole self, your embodied self. Today we're celebrating our embodied salvation through the risen body of Jesus, and so we stand with our bodies. With that being said, John chapter 11, verse 17 is where we're going to be, and though I'm sorry that this may bum out some of you. We're not going to be looking at the story of Easter. Today we are going to be looking at it, oh, some words of Jesus that take us into the substance of Easter. So John 11, verse 17 is where we'll begin. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about the loss of their brother, Lazarus. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, 
I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for an opportunity to commemorate, to celebrate, to remember, to receive, and to share the good news of your risen son, Jesus, who didn't just rise from the dead, but as we're looking at today, is resurrection himself. And so help us to receive all of the glory that this is. And Holy Spirit, would you take um, my words beyond where my words can go into each of the individual stories and faces and situations that are represented in this room today? Holy Spirit, would you speak through your scriptures and bring us not just to the foot of the cross, but to the empty tomb this morning. In him we pray, amen. Well, go ahead and be seated. Well, as you might have noticed in what we just read, we are jumping into the middle of a story so far. Uh, Lazarus, a friend, close friend of Jesus, has died after a long-suffering kind of sickness, and Jesus has now just arrived on the scene for the funeral. And he engages in a conversation with another one of his friends, Mary, Lazarus's sister. And as we read this conversation, it continues even further, ultimately to Jesus not just having a conversation saying, I am the resurrection and the life, but raising Lazarus, though dead for four days, wrapped up and thrown in the tomb, he calls for Lazarus to come out. In this incredible moment of healing, Lazarus comes out from the dead before everybody's eyes, not as, as anything other than a symbol and sign of what Jesus was about to do just a couple chapters later in John's gospel, but also as a sign and a testament to who Jesus is, what he calls himself, I am the resurrection and the life. And it's specifically kind of that phrase that I want to focus in on today. All of the story of Lazarus raised from the dead, isn't, you should read it tonight before bed. It's a great bedtime story, but I want to focus in on those words of Jesus right there in the middle of our passage, or I guess you would say towards the end. But verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So I want to just focus in on, for the sake of our deviled eggs, I want to focus in on just these words of Jesus this morning. And so let's just begin with those first opening two words, I am. For those of you that have been with us through this series over the past few weeks and months now, what we've found is this language of I am goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. When God introduces himself to Moses at the burning bush, God's name, he introduces himself as I am. And so throughout the Old Testament scriptures, whenever you see the word the Lord in all caps written in your Bible, it is a representation of God's name, I am. And so here we have in Jesus' life, he's walking around calling himself, referring to himself with this I am language as an explicit way of identifying himself with the God that was talking to Moses in the burning bush, as the presence of God here on earth. And I, I say explicit because this is absolutely how the religious leaders of Jesus' day understood that I am language. It's what got him crucified. It was blasphemy of the highest order. This man is claiming to be God. But Jesus doesn't just say, 
I am, he also adds on to it over the course of John's gospel, as we've been looking at, these little pictures of what it means for him to be God in, on earth, present with us. So he'll say things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And here I am, the resurrection and the life. Each of these little things we've been looking at over the past few weeks have been taking us deeper into what it means for Jesus to be who he says he is. But what's interesting about this passage is, based off where we know that John is gonna, or Jesus is going to be raising Lazarus from the dead, it would make sense for Jesus' words here to not to, to say, uh, I have resurrection in life. I will give resurrection in life. But it would make even also sense based off where we know Easter Sunday is going, that Jesus would say, I will have resurrection in life. I will be raised and have life. And the profound thing that Jesus is saying here is not just saying, I am, but also saying, I am resurrection life itself. Apart from me, there is no resurrection life because I'm the thing. Now, as we dive into this resurrection and life stuff a little bit more, we have to deal with the fact that when we're talking about resurrection and life, we're entering into a, a, sto- a pre-existing story, both in John's gospel with the late Lazarus, also in the Easter story with Good Friday, and also within our stories. And that is the shadow, the looming shadow of which we all face and live under of death. The thing that is haunting all of us, chasing all of us, seeing it everywhere within our world and around us and even at times within us, the Great plague that is death. Happy Easter. Welcome to church. <laughs> and, and the reality is, is that we have multiple, we all have different ways. We have to deal with death in order to live. And so we have a handful of ways that we deal with them, but there's two prevalent ones within our culture. And the first is denial. It's taboo. We don't talk about it. Sure, we'll watch like John Wick films where there's nothing but death. But then over here in our real world, we don't talk about our death, my death, the reality of true death. We distract ourselves from it. We avoid it. We distance ourselves from death because it's just that terrifying. One historian put it this way. For society's sake, we must hide the unbearable disturbance caused by the ugliness of dying. People need to believe that life is happy. Once again, for society's sake, we must hide the unbearable disturbance Caused by the ugliness of dying, people need to believe that life is happy. Death is so ugly. Death is so dark. Death is so consuming and destructing and destroying that we've got to put that out of everybody's vision as much as possible because the world as we know it would fall apart if we were to actually face our death. Nobody that knows that they've got limited time to live is choosing to go spend their time wandering through Target in the home goods aisle. (laughs) Nobody shows up for work when they know that their life is coming to an end. Society is built on us kind of forgetting for some time that death is real because society, life as we know it, would fall apart. We wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. And so for many of us, we try to deny it, but sooner or later, something happens that gets that, that breaks that, 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 that illusion apart, that denial up. We have to look into the abyss and have it looking back at us. It's the death of a loved one. It's the death of someone close to us. We have to look in. And, and this denial approach works until it doesn't. And it might, we might fall apart. And so then the second approach that we might take is we sentimentalize death. 
So no longer avoiding it, we look at it, but we look at it and we try to see it as a friend. We try to domesticate death. We try to tame it. In the words of the late Steve Jobs, death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change agent. Now, this may seem at some level good, maybe with with those who are very elderly at the end of a long life, we might at some level go, yeah, it's the change agent. They go out and the new generation comes in. But as someone who officiated a funeral yesterday, or for those of you who have buried a loved one over the past year, for those of us who have hypothetically lived through a pandemic, For those of us who hypothetically watch regularly as another school shooting happens within our country, for those of us who see death and how it comes for all, we know that Steve Jobs just needs to keep keep to the iPad. He is not a philosopher on this matter. We know it's, it's a damned lie. And I use that word intentionally. All of us who have lost someone close, we've watched death come into the world, we know that it is not our friend. We can't deny it. We can't tame it. And so what's so profound is as we start to read scriptures about the way it talks about death, we find a portrait that in many ways we internally have been feeling for all of our lives, which is that death is not a friend, it is our enemy. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 calls death the final or the last enemy. In Job, death is referred to as the king of terrors. Death is a thief. Death is a ruthless and relentless tyrant that corrupts everything it touches. And so death also, we may agree with that, but then go, so then where is death coming from? How did it get within here? In the biblical vision of the world, death is the result of humanity's decision to live apart from God, who is life itself. And God honoring humanity's free ability to make decisions and have responsibility and culpability for lives will give them over to their self-made, self-chosen, self-determined lives. And so God will allow that, but what's the reality? If that is what God honors, life apart from the one who is life is just a slow, withering death. And so that's the portrait of death is the enemy, but death like a vampire that can't get in unless you let it, that humanity has invited in by, by sending God out of the room. And so the vision through the scriptures, the hope in the midst of death's great reign is that at the end of time, God would come to undo death, that God would come for his people to to, um, be victorious over death and over sin, and he would take out of all of creation, bringing together the like previously disintegrated bodies of his people, putting them back together again with new power and then sending their souls back together, bringing together whole new persons. One of my favorite places that um, encapsulates this is Job chapter 19. Job, in the midst of his own suffering and loss and death, says, but I know my redeemer lives and at the end he will stand on the dust. Even after my skin has been destroyed, he's he's talking about what a body decomposes, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him and not as a stranger, but as a friend. The vision of the scriptures is that death is an enemy that we have invited in through sin, but that God one day at the end of time would call his people to himself, rebuilding and re-embodying them within this new world. 
And so this is actually what Mary appeals to when she's talking to Jesus in the passage that we just read. You might have caught that when Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And in verse 24, Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she's appealing to some future resurrection. Yes, Jesus, I've read Job. I've read the scriptures. I know that Lazarus one day will rise from the dead. But what does Jesus say? He doesn't say just that there's some kind of resurrection coming. He doesn't appeal just to that one day at the end of time resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. So whatever it means that God is going to recreate and remake this world, Jesus says, I am the one that's going to be breathing that life. I am going to be the one pulling all this back together. I am going to be the one rejoining these new creation bodies with souls that have been waiting with me in death. This is what the whole vision is that Jesus is beginning to say. And so what he goes on in those two little lines to say is his definition of what resurrection looks like. So he continues in verse 20, uh, the back half of verse 25 to say, what does it mean that you are the resurrection in life, Jesus? The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Or as it can be translated, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live Again, so the first framework that Jesus has is that all of that resurrection hope that Job was looking forward to, that was held throughout all the scriptures, Jesus says, it's, it's actually me that's the one that's giving it. It's me that that is found in. It's me that that future creation of new reality being brought back together again, I am the one that will do that. And, and even in the present tense, I am, I am doing that presently. And so I've, I've struggled over time to try to figure out how to give a picture to this because that sounds, it, would, it kind of breaks our brains of like how that would work, right? And so at least some kind of artistic vision. And so to talk about this kind of renewed embodiment, uh, we have to talk about 15th century Japanese ceramics and kintsugi. So you'll see behind me, most of you are familiar with this because of Ted Lasso or Shrinking or Lana Del Rey or Death Cab for Cutie, or Fallout Boy. Like, Kintsugi's having a moment. We're very, like, so much so that some of you guys are too cool for me, and the fact that I'm talking about this right now is like, Ryan's jumped the ship. Um, so Kintsugi, for those of you that are unaware, uh, this is a practice where when a ceramic would break, rather than just throwing it away, or piecing it back together again in a way that would hide the brokenness, that would hide where it had shattered and broken, by using... Um, gold um, that was built in with a lacquer, you would put it back together again, recreating it into what it was, what it was before the break, but now with a renewed beauty and even value and worth that came because it broke. And, and I, I, I don't, this is the best image I have for what we're talking about when we talk about resurrection. Is, is, is something that's coming to put us back together again, meeting us in our brokenness, not to disguise it, not to hide it, not to cover over the reality and the darkness and the brokenness of death and the loss and the grief that you and I have faced in our lives, but actually to bring a renewed, res somebody's excited about this, uh, to bring a new resurrection life and joy to it. A couple other examples of kintsugi that I've been looking at this week. The other one is uh, uh, Victor Solomon's um, kintsugi court. So this was to commemorate the NBA coming back after COVID. 
Um, this is down in South LA. You can drive down here and, and see it today if you want. So for those of you that are in the back that can't see too well, it is a outdoor basketball court that over time has worn and cracks have run through it. And so he came back through and with this gold dusted lacquer has filled in the cracks, actually bringing a greater beauty to the court than before. It's this wonderful picture of you know, the quote unquote resurrection of the NBA on the other side of COVID. Another example is Rachel Sussman. She's a Brooklyn-based artist, and she's like the cool artists where she's not doing this for anything other than just like she wants to do this. So she walks around New York with her gold lacquer, and she looks for cracks in the sidewalk, and she just pours in the gold and fills it in. So you can kind of see so that even as you're walking around, what was a crack, what was damage, what was sidewalk coming apart has been filled in now with a new beauty and shining. I love Rachel Sussman's work because I think this is far more of the vision that Revelation is getting at. In the book of Revelation, when it talks about new creation being, having streets paved with gold. The idea of resurrection is not you going up to heaven, but the life and the beauty and glory of heaven filling in the broken places of our world. First and foremost with death, but through all of this. And so... I, I, I appeal to this Kintsugi kind of stuff of the brokenness being brought out because um, in John chapter 20, a week after the first Easter, all the disciples are a flurry with resurrection talk about Jesus. But there's one disciple, like many of us, named Thomas, who's doubting it all because dead people don't get up again, right? And so he says, you know what, guys, unless I touch the wounds in his hand, unless I feel the hole in his side where he was pierced through with a spear, I, I, I will not believe. I cannot believe. This is just too insane. And so Jesus in all of his goodness appears and is there with them in his resurrected body. And here, Thomas, see the hands, see the wounds. There is a level of profundity that for the sake of deviled eggs and smoked hands, we can't get into right now that is the fact that the resurrected Jesus still bears his scars with a new glory and a new power of what they speak to those in the world. And I'd like to imagine with a little bit of gold inlaid within them. You see, if the resurrection is true, if Easter is true, then this is, this is, this is earth-shattering, this is reality-transforming life-renewing news that's available to you and me, that, that what we're going through in the brokenness of this world will not have the final word. And so this is why I really get like uh, nitpicky and mean about people when we start to talk about um, going to heaven when we die and that being the end of the story. The goal of scripture is not life after death, but life after life after death. A renewed embodiment, because if the end goal of Christianity is you just going to heaven when you die, then that means that death is still the victor. And that you, you getting pulled out is just kind of like the consolation prize for the fact that death beat you. But if Easter is true, then death actually has been defeated. See, the resurrection is what everything that we believe and hold is built upon. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about it this way. He says, if this Jesus thing is a sham, if it's a con, if it's a lie, if it's just a metaphor that we've read too much into, then we as Christians are the greatest fools in human history. You can't have Jesus as a metaphor and have all of this beauty and truth be true. You can't have Jesus as just an exemplar you know, for you and have this beauty still be true. 
the whole thing falls apart. And now for some of you, uh, that, that is profound, but you, like Thomas, are going, I, 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 the historicity of the resurrection, the questions that you have, I, I'll just say, we, I, we have talked about this in the past here at Collective, and I would love to talk about it with you again. Before you leave today, let's, let's schedule coffee. Let's, can I buy you lunch, and let's talk through this. But I know that some of the other people that have sat through me talking about this before are, like I said, ready for smoked ham. <laughs> and so I'll just say, once again, if this is true, then then there's a, there's a hope on the other side of all the brokenness that your life contains. There is a power on the other side of death that is not just a consolation prize, but is an undoing of, in the words of my kid's storybook Bible, all sad things becoming untrue. But Jesus continues. He says in verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, in the grammar of the Greek that John is writing in this, as like the verse before, it can be translated a little bit uh, more nuanced in saying, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die forever. They will never go on being dead. Now, at first glance, it may seem like Jesus is just saying the same thing. Believe in me, and there's resurrection life for you on the other side of death. But notice that Jesus is doing something a little bit different here. He's taking all of the resurrection hope that's going to begin and happen at the end of time, and he's locating it into the present tense. Everyone who, present tense, lives and believes in me will live with a life that, that death cannot stop. So resurrection, life, and power is not just something we're waiting for. It's something that's in breaking into our world right here, right now in the present tense. As Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Jesus' words, living and believing in me, he, they, she is a new creation. Is a, is a new, present tense is a new creation. Not future, right? Do you see that? Jesus is, or Paul, Jesus would probably agree with Paul here, but Paul is saying, those who live and believe in Jesus, in the resurrection and the life, that resurrection life is a, present tense experience. New creation begins today. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Jesus is bringing a reparative work that part of what Easter Sunday and the resurrection 2,000 years ago means is that that resurrection power that everyone was waiting for, that Job, my, even though my body has fallen apart, there's going to be something powerful that's going to renew me and make me back into who I was, that very good intent that God made the world with, and that Jesus 2,000 years ago was this one shining breakthrough moment that now has unlocked and brought the future into the present. I know we're getting into like science fiction, Dr. Dr. Who it feels like right now, but it's okay. The reality is, is that resurrection life your body being put back together, your life being put, yourself being re-brought together with a new beauty, what was broken being put back together again is not just something we're waiting for. It's something that's available to us right here and right now in the present tense. And so for those who live and believe in Jesus, in the words of Leonard Cohen's um, song anthem, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And so the work of, of what it means for us to be the people of Jesus is not that we excuse our, the brokenness within ourselves or within the world. It's not that we disguise it. It's not that we hide it. We bring it for what it is to Jesus, 
And we say, we need you to do a work through the, the very power that rose you from the dead in our bodies, in our lives, in our souls, in our minds, in ourselves, in our world that we cannot do by our own power. And Jesus, the resurrection and the life, breaks out the gold lacquer and begins to get to work through the Holy Spirit, piecing us back together again, bringing light when there was darkness, bringing truth in the midst of lies, bringing forgiveness in the midst of shame, bringing righteousness in the midst of sin, bringing clarity in the midst of confusion, bringing boldness and courage in the midst of our fear, bringing joy in the midst of sadness, bringing healing in the midst of sickness, bringing comfort in the midst of loss. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, speaks and just like in that Job passage, begins that work today, piecing us back together again. And what's so profound then is that he brings us into these little communities called the church, these little kintsugi families, what Paul would call agents of reconciliation. That as we find ourselves being put back together again by the Spirit, still and always works in progress until the end of the age, we move out, though, into our city, into our world, like, like Victor Solomon and Rachel Sussman, th through the work of the Spirit in these simple and often unseen ways, painting gold and filling in the brokenness of our communities, of our neighborhoods, of our cities. You see, Easter Sunday is not about snatching you out of earth and bringing you into heaven. It's about settling earth with heaven. It's not about saving you from earth. It's about saving you for this world. This is what Jesus is all about. He, this is what, one of the things, again, that sets Christianity apart from every other religion is in the beginning, what does God say over and over again at every marking moment, every day of creation? It is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. And so what resurrection means is that God wasn't lying about that. When he created you, when he created me, when he created this world, and he is so committed to that goodness that he gave it that he is going to move death itself to bring it back to its good intent and design. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. They see the world as a broken, dark, awful place that everybody's, we gotta get out of here. So of course it'll make sense that we've gotta get saved from here to go to there. Because down here is awful, there's no goodness left within it. It's all an illusion. It's all deception. It's all broken. And so God's going to get us out of here. And the Christian broken version of this is when Jesus returns, he's going to be like this personal death star and blow up the earth so that it's all gone forever and we can play with harps in heaven. God wasn't lying when he looked over you, when he looked over me, when he looked over creation and said, it's very good. And though sin and death breaks and decays, Jesus, the resurrection of life, says, and I'm putting it back together again. And so, the only question left for you and me today is Jesus' question to Mary. Do you believe this? For those of you that are a part of our church community, those of you who would identify as a follower of Jesus, do you live and believe in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Or maybe better said today, where in your life in this moment is Jesus inviting you to bring his resurrection and life into your situation or into this moment? For some of you, there's been some great loss, some great grief over this past year. 
some confusion, some death. And what I, I hope I've said before you today, what I, 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 I sense that Jesus is going to bring to you, my prayer that he would, is just a simple reminder of the resurrection. In the midst of the loss, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the confusion and the grief, that Jesus Today, would you just feel him speaking to you in the midst of your loss? Far more can be mended than you think. Similarly, for some of you that, that are followers of Jesus, I, I, the, 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 what you're sensing right now is a, is a paralysis in your story. To go back to the picture of the kintsugi and the, and the broken ceramics is maybe you think there's, most, there's a bunch of areas that Jesus can heal, but there's some part of your story that you feel paralyzed that cannot be healed, that cannot be repaired, that cannot be mended. It may be because of a failure or sin in your story or a damage or fault or abuse or hurt that was done to you by another. And so Jesus can heal all of this, but this part of me right here is just something that, is never, that cannot be healed, that cannot be touched. Or some of you, in the midst of the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of yourself, you are prone to an apathy and a feeling of purposelessness and meaninglessness. Like, yes, new creation, yes, resurrection, yes, all of that, but in the meantime... I'm just kind of floating through this life. Or for some of you, you feel helpless in the midst of a cancer diagnosis. Some of you feel helpless in the midst of sickness and disease or an addiction or just some pattern and habit within your life that you cannot break. My prayer today is not just that you would receive a reminder of the resurrection, but that as we in a moment move into a time of response, that Jesus by his Holy Spirit would give you a experience of the power of the resurrection breaking into the present tense. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation of healing and redemption and calling and purpose and mending, putting together what had been broken. And then finally, for those of you that got dragged along here and you're like, I have no idea what to do with this short little guy yelling the Bible all day. <laughs> like I might come back again. Here's, here would be my, my invitation to you today, is simply that you would consider the, the words of Jesus. That you would ask yourself, in Jesus' statement, I am the resurrection and the life, you would ask yourself, what, how have you, have you dealt with death? How have you dealt, what is your answer? What is your response to the brokenness of this world? Or, or even more than that, your shattered self. And simply just to hold, how, how is that? Is that working for me? And then, and then to, to, to truly think about what Jesus is offering to you here. And you may have questions about the resurrection like Thomas. Yes and amen. I still have questions about the resurrection. I'm still working through it. But there comes some moment where within the Holy Spirit, God doing something within you where you well up and you come to say like Martha, I may have no idea where this story is going, but I, Jesus, I do believe that you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah who has come into the world. And my prayer for you today is that today would be the moment when, Holy Spirit, you would unlock something with you. And honestly, this isn't like, we, I love having everybody here on Easter. This is great. This isn't so your church attendance goes up or even that you belong to some other church. This is, this is the world is made to be mended and brought back together again. You were made with a very good design and intent by God that, yes, has been broken, but goodness, God is not done with you. 
You may even feel done with him, but he is faithfully present and wants to rebuild within you in your life something that you maybe have even tried but cannot do on your own. And so my, my prayer for you is just today simply a reception, a receptivity, a receiving of Jesus who is the resurrection. To say, I don't have it all figured out. I've got all the questions in the world, but Jesus, I'm going to try to live and believe in you as Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came into the world to save and redeem me, and we're gonna figure it out as we go. And so now we're gonna step into a time of response. My prayer is that God, through this present Holy Spirit, would take these words beyond anything that I can say and would begin to speak to you the depths and the need and the hopes that you need within each of you individuals that are made up here today. For some of you, like I said, what you need most deeply is a reminder of the resurrection in your situation today, that Jesus is not done. For some of you, there is an area of your life that you need an experience of the power of the resurrection, that future redeeming work that's gonna put all the cosmos back together again, that you just need a little drop of it in this situation, in your body, in your mind, in this place. And then for some of you, that we're going to sing, we're going to Pray, and my prayer is that today, Holy Spirit, that you would unlock something within each and every one of you here. That for some of you, today's the day of receiving Jesus as resurrected King. For some of you, my prayer is, even if we're not there yet, that today might be the day that you at least receive checking him out a little bit more. There's a work that Jesus is doing, and the whole message of Resurrection Sunday is that we're not waiting for it to happen. It begins in the presence. It begins in the presence. It begins in the presence. It begins in God's presence. But it begins in the present. And through the work of the Holy Spirit in each and every single one of us, it doesn't stop at death, but breaks through the tomb just like Jesus did. Let's pray.